0: Thank you for listening to this message, brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Great group of kids. So I got here this morning, and uh, half of the air conditioning was not working. And then for a little while, the whole thing wasn't working. But uh, we got it up and running. And I'm thinking, well, that's okay. It's only the hottest day of the year. We had a service this week. And sometimes when they service, they're a very good company, Mohawk Heating. Recommend them. They did a great job on installation, good job on service. And uh, just a switch wasn't switched back after they did the service. So anyway... As you know, I love my air conditioning. (laughs) So, how are you? Good. Good to see you. This is a really special day. So glad to have Thompsons back and Shepherds and Bosbergs. And you brought your dad with you. What's up with that? That's wonderful. That's really good. And Russ, really, really good to see you. Jeff, Noreen again, boy, it's terrific. And uh, and all you other convicts, it's. it's good to see you. No, it's, it's been, a, been a good week. Uh, keep Debbie in prayer, as I mentioned earlier. She's got that stress test coming up on Wednesday, and she'll find out uh, mid-August on, on the results of that and just a lot of things going on. Karen Houghton shared some blessings and prayer requests, and, and uh, so so many other things going on. If you ever wonder, you know, if, you, if you're looking for something to pray for, just pick up one of our prayer journals. I think we usually have extra copies on the, on the rack back there, and it keeps you up to date on some of the things going on in people's lives. It, we certainly don't have time... Uh, luxury to talk about at every service but uh, if if you really want to know about it pick up a prayer journal it's a great way to keep in touch this morning i want to i want to preach on the heart of jesus and um, i'm I, i think we should be enthralled with him i'm thankful for jesus aren't you i'm glad that i know him i'm glad he's the son of god i'm glad that he saved me amen he saved how many of you are saved this morning raise your hand Saved, saved, there's a definite, you can put your hands on a definite time in your life, you repented of your sin, you asked Jesus Christ to save you, knowing that he died vicariously for your sin on the cross of Calvary, and he is the one and only way of salvation, that neither is there uh, salvation in any name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, Uh, and so it's it's only in Jesus' name, and so (laughs) I'm so glad he saved me. And uh, so, I want to talk a little bit about the heart of Jesus today. We're going to start by looking at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Actually, is the passage Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. And uh, this kind of follows under the first topic of He's faithful. He's so faithful. Jesus is always faithful. We are not. You know, I (laughs) we are not faithful. I know me, and I know how faithful He is. And then I look at me, and I'm thinking, Lord. I feel like that publican. This morning we talked about the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. And I'm so much on the side of the publican. Just how much we just need God's mercy and and his forgiveness. And he's so good to us. And Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. I'd ask you to read that silently while I read it aloud. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort ye. And by, by the way, let me just preface this. The book of Isaiah is, according to many, the clearest portrait of Christ in the entire Old Testament. I think that's a solid statement. I agree with that statement. You'll find him a lot of places in the Old Testament. Isaiah, I think, is the clearest portrait of Christ in the Old Testament. Isaiah also has 66 chapters, just like the the Bible has 66 books in it. The first 39 books of the Bible are Old Testament books. The next 27 books are New Testament books. Isaiah chapter 40. It's amazing. You look at Isaiah chapter 39. Let's just read verse 8. You get a feel for it just by looking at the last verse. Isaiah chapter 39 verse 8 says, Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in thy days. Wrapping up, there's a continu- the whole story back there. We won't, we, don't, we won't take time to go over it. But it's a very clear demarcation of 39 verses 40. And I don't want to go too far with numerology or any of these other things, but it's a beautiful picture of the 39 chapters of Isaiah outlined in the Old Testament. And Isaiah chapter 40, where we're picking up today, is kind of like the mirror of the beginning of the New Testament. And it's a wonderful, fresh break in the story of Isaiah if you were to read it from start to finish. Isaiah chapter 40 is very unique. We're going to start off with the first 11 verses. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way unto the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. In the verse 11, and this is the operative thought for, this, for the first point this morning, it says, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we pray that the spirit of God would have freedom to work in our hearts and in our minds as we consider the great things before us. And Father, we should, we're just so thankful for how you reveal to us your heart, in the heart of Jesus, and his disposition toward us a loving, nurturing, enabling, uh, comforting disposition. It's always for our good, it's always for our benefit, and it's always to draw us closer to him. Father, we pray that you'd bless in this morning's service. We ask that. Uh, that you'd work in our hearts a work that only you can do and father as always we pray that if there are any here today that have not yet repented of their sin and trusted christ as savior father we pray that this would be the day of salvation and lord in all things we pray that you'd have the preeminence that's our highest goal and we pray in jesus name amen so talking about the heart of jesus and the first point being he's faithful to nurture us In uh, Isaiah chapter 40, again, it's it's the beginning of the whole New Testament theme starting here. I'm going to pause for just a moment. Happy birthday, Jesse. Today's Jesse's birthday. Dad just told me, so I just want to... I meant to say that before, so you don't usually make sermon time, just for the record. (laughs) But um, Jesus. So what's his disposition towards us? You know, we kind of take it for granted, but I think it's really good to be identified. There are religions that have, they're all false religions. They're all false religions. Anything outside of biblical Christianity is a false religion. False in that it will lead to nothing, it's vanity. It will lead to nothing. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ, none. There's none out there. If, If it was out there, I'd love to talk about it. There's none out there. They're all false religions. And a lot of those false religions will have a God that is like coming from an angry disposition And almost as though, as some of the adherents to those religions would communicate, uh, almost with the idea that at any given point in time, God just wants to lash out and let him have it. Jesus' disposition towards us as believers is is a tremendous disposition. It's awesome. Uh, Think about who he is he's the second part of a triune God, and he's a creator. He's the one who died in our place on the cross of Calvary. He suffered more than you or I could even bear to suffer. And he did it, and he never sinned. There was not a sin. He, he created us knowing he'd have to redeem us. How, it, only in the mind of an infinite, infinite, loving God could anything like that ever happen. But that's that's Jesus. And his disposition towards us is that of, of helping and lifting. And, and the first point here is nurturing. In verse 11 of chapter 40, it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Jesus' disposition, quick point, first point, is really to nurture us. He cares for us better than any shepherd could. We talked about last week uh, some references to the shepherd and the good shepherd. and, And there are some references to pastor being shepherd. And whenever I I see that, compare the pastoral responsibilities of being shepherd to Jesus's qualities, perfect execution of those qualities of being shepherd, I always felt really inadequate, very inadequate, because we can't compare to him. We cannot compare to the true shepherd. No no way, shape, or form. His his disposition towards us, he cares for us like a good shepherd cares for for their flock. You look at, at, at the case studies, at the examples that Jesus points out in Scripture. He says, you know, a shepherd, they'll stay up at night, they'll watch over their flock, and if one wanders away, he'll go get them. He puts himself at risk. He defends against wild animals. That's wonderful. And that is Jesus' disposition towards us, but not just in gathering, not just in guiding, not just in protecting from the enemies, but he's gentle towards us. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms, shall carry them in his bosom. He's gentle. He's faithful to nurture us. He wants us to be better and stronger. He wants us to be well-fed and taken care of. He wants us to be in a place where we can be happy and prosper. And I'm not talking about a a secular, worldly kind of he's-in-it-for-our-good kind of thing, but that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to help. Us. He's with us every single step of the way. Matter of fact, Jesus is looking for opportunities to bless and to reward his children. Just a couple references. Matthew 10, 42 says, And whosoever shall give unto one of these little ones, to the children, a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, Verily I say saying to you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And a very clear reference to even supporting and helping be a blessing to those little ones that follow after him. Jesus says, I recognize that and I'll reward that. You know, the, the workers in junior church have a tremendous opportunity in working with the young souls in the developmental stage, mentally, spiritually, physically. They're in the developmental stage. And they've got this incredible opportunity of working with those children to give them the very best. And Jesus promises a reward of kindness towards those people who help out. As a of fact, in fact, in a lot of his teachings, Jesus uses the child as an example of how he treats everyone. For instance, in Matthew chapter eighteen, verse two, it says, "And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst." And he's basically saying, "Except you be converted, as this little child." In verse three, it says specifically except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Talking about adults. Adults. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. You can't get saved. In other words, men and women of Christ, it is not our goal to remain in our infant stage. By any stretch of the imagination. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Church of Corinth, he said, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with you as mature because you're yet babes. And I couldn't give you meat, you're still with milk. So he wants us to develop. And he wants us to discern, rightly divide the word of truth. And, uh, and, 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 and to become strong in the faith. To know what we believe, why we believe. And then to be the servants and the conduits that the Spirit of God can use. But it all starts... With that simple childlike conversion. It's not, and it's very interesting, we just covered the the parable of the Pharisee and the publican today in Sunday school, and we point out the difference of of a religious person who does a lot of righteous things in an effort to get their salvation or to display or to prove their salvation, that they've earned their salvation. It's not that way. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter in the kingdom of of heaven. So no no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, in our academia, in our study of theology, in whatever it may be, and I don't think we have many advanced seminarians in this congregation, do we? (laughs) I don't think we do. We don't have one up here. I don't think we have many out there. But Jesus wants us to, to come to him as little children. In other words, without all the arguments, without all the the excuses as to why I got into this position. You're just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I remember when I got saved, and you probably do too, and I'd love to you know, take the time to take testimonies right now. It wouldn't be probably profitable or best use of the time. But I remember when I got saved, I, I, I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And there was, there was evidence against me. But more importantly, there was scripture that declared it. I know that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I'm asking you to please forgive me and save me. I want Jesus Christ as my savior. I didn't understand how profound that moment was. I knew it was important. I knew I was getting saved. I knew I was receiving Christ. But the more you know him, you realize how incredibly important and profound those moments are. It didn't come by way of answering the test correctly. It didn't come by way of, of performing some great work of service or some multiplicity of works of service. It comes because... Like Jesus said, except you be converted, become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of, of God, of heaven. And uh, Matthew, Matthew eighteen four says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, really zeroing on, on, on the simplicity of our standing before Christ. It should never, ever be accompanied with any sense of pride or accomplishment by which you know, we have earned some standing. I hope he's pleased with my life. I hope he's pleased with your life. That's fair, that's open, that's good. But never does that give us standing before God. We need to come before him as as like a little child. And so Jesus is faithful to nurture us. And I I love the idea that, you know, he says these things specifically about children. And I'm glad he does it because because you and I can empathize with that. And we look at the kids, I love it when they're up here. I almost sometimes want to say, and now, junior church, you're staying here. <laughs> I love having them here. It's, it's better for them to go downstairs. Probably better for us. But I love having them here. But when Jesus said, except you be converted, become as this little child, you should not enter into the kingdom of heaven, we understand that. Because we see the children. We understand, you know, they're sinners. They break things. There's two kids in the room. The vase is broken. Who broke this? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes there's one child in a room. (laughs) The vase is broken, broken. I don't know. We can understand that. It's a fallen nature. But there's this love because even in spite of their fallen nature, there's a simplicity of, of a soul there that we empathize with. We want to nurture, we want to help them, want to teach them right from wrong, want to show them, and there's a fairness and discipline every step of the way. But we understand that. That's how Jesus looks at us. And he uses children time after time to show he's faithful to nurture us. So as complicated as we may make life from time to time, and we do, I do, I suppose you do too, sometimes we make it a little bit too complicated. And Jesus says, I just want to help you. And I'm not glossing over things, I don't mean to, to ignore other topics, but his general disposition towards us, he wants to nurture us, he wants us to be strong, strong in the, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, as a matter of fact, what did he say to, to Peter in John 21, 15? He said, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Feed them, the lambs, the little ones. Feed them. And of course, that, the natural application is children and adults. So he wants to nurture us. Second thing, just talking about the heart of God, and these are a couple quick points, and the third point is really kind of the most important. But he's faithful to nurture us. He's also faithful to enable us. And this is the kind of thing, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So we bring up these points to someone, and it really takes a born again person to kind of understand these things. For instance, he, he is faithful to enable us. Turn with me to John chapter 15. I'm going to read a few verses just for time's sake. I may not ask you to turn there. But John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 5. John chapter 15, verse 5. We're going to read 5 through 7. We see a couple things in here. And this is how he enables us, spiritually enables us. He won't give you speed faster than a speeding train, able to jump tall buildings in a single bound. He doesn't do that. He gives you something better than that. And think about it. it is better than that. Let me ask you a question. Are God's ways the best ways? They are, right? I have no doubt in that. I have no, no doubt whatsoever. And I remember as a young Christian thinking, well, in the universe of alternatives, if, all, if God could really do anything, why didn't he give someone the speed to run faster than a locomotive or jump tall buildings in a single bound? And I'm thinking, because it's better that he doesn't. But what does he do? And this is better than any of those things. Have you ever brought up like, reading comic books, superheroes, that kind of stuff? I mean, It would be pretty cool to like, fly like Superman, wouldn't it? If you ever think you want to fly like Superman, don't start on top of a building. <laughs> if you really think you can fly like Superman, start from the sidewalk. It's okay, so a whole lot safer. He does something better than that. He gives us enablement. And what is it? It's spiritual fruitfulness. Look at John chapter 15, verse 5 through 7. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. A couple of things. John chapter 15 is an interesting chapter. The divine branches and burning. It's got an interesting... It's not talking about loss of salvation. It's, it's, a, it's a really a great chapter in a lot of points. The, but the main point for today is spiritual fruitfulness. He says, for without me ye can do nothing. Okay. What's he talking about here? Well, um, people who don't know Christ, they walk... They go to the store. They have their jobs. They do a lot of the things that we do. They do these things. He's not talking about that, is he? Because he says, without me, you can do nothing. So he's not talking about getting a job or going to the store or building a tree fort. He's not talking about those things. Because anybody can do those things. Anybody can. But again, what he's talking about are things that have... So much greater value. We're talking about spiritual fruitfulness. Without me, you can do nothing. You want to get hold of the throne of God? Come before the throne of God in prayer. On our knees, humbly, asking God to intervene and do a thing that only God can do. And we're talking about praying for the souls of men. We're talking about boldness in witnessing. We're talking about understanding the things of the Spirit of God. We're talking about strength as a Christian. Those are the things that without him, we can do nothing. We need him for these things. I can't tell you how many times, we usually pray from, from 9.30 to 9.45, short time prayer in the auditorium. Today I wasn't here just because I, I prayed earlier, and I did pray earlier, but I was taking care of the air conditioning for a while, so I threw off my, my 9.30 to 9.45 prayer time. But every Sunday morning, and other times during the week, but particularly on Sunday mornings, virtually every Sunday I'm here, I'm, I, I, I almost can't believe he lets me do this. And I think about the value and the importance of, of what it is that we do, the preaching of the word of God, the giving out of, of gospel literature during the week, the communication of the gospel. That is spiritual fruitfulness. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. We need him, we need him, we need him. Every step of the way, before we knock on a door, before we give the gospel. I know that many of us do, and we ought to pray. God, help me to, give, to have just the right words. And I, Lord, I'm such a bumbler sometimes, but God asks that you work through me that, that the communication of the truth that you want him to understand would come through. In verse seven, it says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Okay, well, let's test that. So what is, what's he talking about? He's not talking about that song that came out in the, I think it was the 1980s. Of course, I wasn't born yet, so I wouldn't really know. 1980s, and maybe you remember it. Oh, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz? Have you ever heard that song? Heard about it? Tell you the truth, I don't remember if it's a song or a song about that song. I, but, oh, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz? Because he says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what ye will shall be done unto you. So why don't we just say, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz? Hmm. I think we've got a pretty good hunch that's not what he's talking about. He cares about every hair on her head, he cares about everything, and he provides so many things, and maybe he got a Mercedes Benz, maybe he got a Chevy, I don't know, doesn't know, it doesn't really matter, maybe anecdotally those things have happened, but what he's talking about is in him, if ye abide in me, live in him. Talking about being saved, but it's also talking about walking with him, because there's there's a fellowship and a power in prayer that we have, not just because we're saved. Being saved is super important. None of it opens until we're saved. But once we're saved, then there's a walking with Him. And when that walking with Him is engaged, there's a fellowship with Him and a power of prayer that we don't have when we're not walking with Him. And He says, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. There's a power in prayer by walking with them. You know, have you ever, and I, and I know you have, we've had this conversation, many of us, different times, a special need will come up and it's a pressing need. And you almost feel bad bringing it for the Lord because you really haven't been praying the way you ought to. How many of you ever felt like that? All of a sudden you got to pray, like, oh, Lord. I, and you know what I do? Because I never feel ready for those things. It's, you know why? Because it's a special moment. I wasn't ready for this before. It didn't exist before this time. But something really important came up, and it's up to us to bring it before the Father and to pray. Someone said, would you please pray for me? We don't want to say, well, I haven't prayed as much as I thought this week, so maybe I shouldn't. No, we want to pray. And of course, we should be praying regularly anyway. But a special thing comes up. We need to pray. We bring it before God, and it's of special value. It's a special test. It's bigger than the normal. We ought never to, to shirk from bringing those things before the Lord. And there's special power. And and I'll pray, and I know you have too. God, I don't deserve for you to answer this. I don't deserve to come in your presence on my own name, but I come in Jesus' name. And Lord, the things that I'm bringing for you now are really, really important. Lord, I know you know it, and this is what's going on. You explain it, and you ask him to intervene. And um, there's answered prayer. And the, the more powerful the answered prayer will come... There's a few factors in here, but the key thing is abiding in him. Years ago, back in 1999, when, when Lighthouse Baptist and uh, Victory Baptist, kind of, Victory Baptist and Lighthouse Baptist kind of came together. We're in this building, and Pastor Worship and I were sitting in, in that foyer back in 1999, and we're getting ready for Saturday visitation, and he looked at me and he says, I pray for you every day. I'm saying, wow. Because He wasn't lying. He was telling the truth. And I thought to myself, I don't know you like God knows you. But from what I know, if I were God, I'd listen to you. Cuz he was a godly man. I'm not making him a saint, I'm not canonizing him. God made him a saint when he got saved. And I'm thinking, wow. He's praying for me. That's pretty terrific. If you abide in me, and my words abide, and you shall ask what you will, it shall be done unto you. So he's faithful to nurture, he's faithful to enable. Then lastly, and I guess kind of quickly, he's faithful, faithful to secure us. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is, see, we live with the end in view. We talk about things other people they can't handle. They really can't handle it. Because we talk about, at the drop of a hat, we'll talk about death. Drop of a hat. What do you want for lunch? Well, I don't want to die. <laughs> I mean, Maybe not quite that fast. But we talk about it and drive it out. Why? Because we live there. The Bible talks about the, the vanity of life. Our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We live there. It's hard not to talk about it. And sometimes a little heavy. We want to be appropriate. We want to be discreet. We want to be you know, kind of tactful in our communications. But we live there. And this idea that he's faithful and he's is curious is of immense value to us. He's the conqueror of death. Jesus conquered death. It's not academic. This has a personal application. Because the longer you've been young, the closer you are. And I remember one time somebody was talking to me about being young or not being young. And I said, Don't talk to me about being young. I've been young since before you were born. (laughs) That's the way I like to look at it. He's a conqueror of death. And Isaiah, I'm going to read a few verses you can follow if you want. Isaiah 25 8, He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. All these things are done. We mentioned that earlier passage how Israel had paid double for their sins and we could really talk a lot about Israel and where they are and all these things but God has a plan and a purpose for Israel. And he says here he will swallow up death and victory. To who? Believers, but save born-again people. He will swallow up death in victory. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, all faces. Of course, all believers, because the unbeliever isn't going to be there. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. He conquered death. Matter of fact, he defied death. He defied it. He said in John chapter ten, verses seventeen and eighteen: "Therefore doth my Father love me." Because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received my Father. He says to death, you're not going to win. And guess what? <laughs> it didn't win. It couldn't win. Jesus said, I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it back. And guess what? I'm going to do the same for you. By grace through faith. He defied death. He's a conqueror. He he submitted to to the stroke of death. To the pain of death for our sins. And he he entered into the realms of death. He rescued victims. And uh, Lazarus in other times. He demonstrated victory. By his own resurrection. Again, not an academic point. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Check box yes. Yes he did. So what's the application? That means I'm going to live again. I don't deserve it any more than you deserve it. By grace are we saved through faith. But we're going to live again. We're going to live again. Because he rose from the dead. In in Revelation 1.18, it says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. The keys, the authority. I can open it, I can close it, whenever I want. I'm Jesus. I can do whatever I want. And Romans 1:4 says, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. It's amazing what he did for us. He's gonna, he, he, he's, he's, he's faithful to secure us. When it's all said and done. You might go, when you die, when I die, I hope it's like this. Someone taps me on the shoulder. I wake up from a sleep, it's Jesus. That'd be pretty nice. Some of you, maybe you'll die more heroically. I'd like to kind of go, I don't, it doesn't matter. Jesus has a perfect plan. But that would be pretty comforting. That's easy to handle, right? Sometimes you see it coming. It's not a light matter. It's a very serious matter. Sometimes you see it coming. Sometimes you're completely filled with the spirit of grace. And I think Christians, by and large, definitely are. Could there be some worry and anxiety? I suppose there could be. You know, that could happen. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our, our victory, our security in death doesn't come from our, our emotional stability at the point of. It comes because of what Jesus did. In just a couple last verses today, Jesus will completely destroy death at last because it wasn't supposed to be here. It wasn't part of God's perfect plan. It was his plan and the fact that he knew it was going to happen. It wasn't part of his creation for his people for all time. It's part of the fall. It's part of sin. It's this whole death thing. He's going to get rid of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can turn there. This is our last passage for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 25 and 26. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26. For he must reign... Till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death will be destroyed. So he's faithful to secure us. He's he's faithful to nurture us. He's faithful because he loves us. Better than any shepherd loves a sheep. Better than any parent ever loves a child. Better than any friend could ever love a friend or loved one or family. He loves us better than that. He's faithful to, to nurture us, to enable us with spiritual blessings and spiritual things. And then finally, and above all, and this is where our our ultimate uh, confidence lies, our comfort lies, he's faithful to secure us. Because when our time is over, we're going to be with the Lord. A lot of people say it. They do. And and I hope it's true for them. But as bible believing Christians, again, we we live on the edge of the most uncomfortable topics that people could ever imagine. Death and heaven and hell, things... This, a lot of people don't even like talk about those things. We live there because Jesus went there for us. And he promises us a home in heaven. A home in heaven, not because of our, the good things that we do. We ought really to do lots of good things. Our, our, our good works glorify God. Have good works. Have lots of good works. But it doesn't save us. We're saved by grace through faith. And, uh, and, and by, by this wonderful saving faith, this grace... You know, God saves us and he gives us so many wonderful things. And the idea that I, we're secure in Christ when we leave this earth, and we all will leave, uh, it gives us such great comfort. You know, this morning I was walking around, just, you know, usually some pretty busy Sunday mornings, and I, mean, I was just coming in the back here, and just one of my many trips to the archery this morning, and I was thinking of Joyce. Oh, it's just yesterday, it's just yesterday Joyce was with us and Pastor Worsham, and Brother Chuck, and Bob, and how many others could we name? They were, they were just with us. It was just, just a little while ago. They were with us. And we carry on because it's what we need to do. It's the right thing to do. We carry on. We don't stay there. We carry on. But they're there. They're living the comfort that we're now talking about. Joe, I mean, there's so many people we could talk about. They've gone on. And we have absolute, absolute confidence. And we give all praise and all honor and all glory to God the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the unmatchable, searchless, uh, unsearchable riches of Christ. And he's just been so good to us. The heart of Jesus. It just can't get any better. Can't get any better than that. With every head bad and every eye closed. You know, he's so good to us. And I'm so thankful for his grace. You know, you and I, we're all a work in progress. We really are. And, um, and he's faithful to do all these things for us and so many more. We certainly couldn't cover everything in, in a, a, a single sermon today. So faithful. Let's give him what we got. Let's be his. We'll certainly never regret giving him more, giving him more. We're not taking an offer, we're just talking about our lives. Lord. I just want to give you more. I just want to be yours completely. I want to thank you in advance for the glory that's going to be revealed in us by your mercy, by your grace, by your death on the cross. We just want to give you honor and glory. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, you never personally repented of your sin because you're separated from God. We all were separated from God because of our sin. That's why we need to repent. And we need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive us, to be our Savior. He paid for it on the cross. We just need to personally receive him. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. My religion won't save me. My good works won't save me. But Lord, I come to you because Jesus died for me. He was sacrificed for my sin. And that is more than enough. And I'm asking you, Father, to please forgive me. I want Christ as my Savior. I want to be born again. Perhaps today, Christian, Lord spoke into your heart. The altar's open. Time, a great time, great opportunity for recommitment, prayer for someone else. Whatever the Lord, if the Lord leads in some way, then let's give him the response that he's looking for. <laughs> We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org the gospel.